Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will set as a refiner, and purify our silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Maybe see. One reality that all of us experience every single day is that we live in a world that is constantly changing. Think about all of the ways that we can see that in our lives. Think about how we've seen that in the world in just the last few weeks. A few days ago, some of you began a brand new school year. In just a few days, others of you are going to begin a brand new school year. With a brand new school year comes a lot of different changes. Comparing it with the summer, there's going to be a change in routine a change in schedule, a change in when you go to bed and when you have to wake up, a change in people, a change in location. Comparing it with the last school year, there's going to be some changes. A change in teachers, a change in classrooms, maybe even you're changing schools, a change in subject matter, a change in grade level. A brand new school year brings about a lot of different changes. Consider all of the changes that we've experienced just in the last few weeks with the coronavirus. The Delta variant has brought about a lot of different changes. The guidance from the CDC is different from what it was just a few weeks ago. More people are getting sick. More people are having to check into the hospital. More people are beginning to wear masks. Once again, we even had to put up the signs for our mask only section here. And, and in bringing this up, I'm not taking a position on one side or the other. But what I am trying to do is illustrate the reality that we live in every single day. Our lives are constantly changing. Our world is constantly shifting. And many times that's beyond our control. We mentioned this last week. But as this is only our, our second Sunday together, we're still experiencing change and transition as a church family. As was mentioned just a few moments ago, we're going to experience a change tonight as we say goodbye to Paul who's done some great things for the youth group over the past two summers. I know I've appreciated being able to get to know him and, and get to meet him over the past few weeks. Paul, the, the office is going to feel empty without you there, man. But it's not just our nation. It's not just our state or our community. It's not just in our schools and congregations. It's something that we experience in our own lives. 
It's something that we experience within our own homes and within our own families. Things are constantly changing. Things are constantly shifting. As people, we don't remain the same. We change. Our bodies change. Our interests change. Our family dynamics change. Our jobs change. Our locations change. We could spend our entire time this morning illustrating that one point. Talking about that one idea, we live in a world that is constantly shifting. Our lives are constantly being altered by someone or something, and many times that's outside of our control. We live in a world that is constantly changing. And sometimes that can be a hard reality to grasp. Maybe as a person, you don't deal well with change. You don't really like to go through changes. Change can bring about feelings of fear, uncertainty. Change can bring a lot of stress and and worry and anxiety. Change is sometimes like stepping off into the unknown where I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure what the process is going to look like. I'm not sure what the result is going to be. There was a philosopher who lived about 500 years before Jesus named Heraclitus. He put it this way, the only constant in life is change. While it might feel that way sometimes, I want to suggest to you this morning that Heraclitus could not be farther from the truth. Yes, we live in a world that's constantly changing, but as Christians, there are some things for us that don't change. There are some things for us that eternally remain constant. Yes, we live in a world that is ever-changing. A world that is constantly shifting where nothing remains the same for very long. But as followers of Jesus, there are some things that we can hold on to. There are some things that we can place our trust in. There are some things that we can firmly place our feet on top of because these things aren't going to change. These things aren't going to shift. As people, we long for consistency. I want to suggest the only place that we can find true consistency is when we go to Scripture. Whenever we study and whenever we read the Word of God. And so that's what I want us to do together this morning. Let's go to the Word of God and let's think about three constants in a constantly changing world. Number one, in the midst of a constantly changing world, the faithfulness of God remains the same. The faithfulness of God remains constant. We read in our Scripture reading just a few minutes ago from Malachi chapter 3. When you go to the book of Malachi, The prophet Malachi is preaching to the nation of Judah. They've returned from Babylonian captivity to the city of Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple. They've been strengthened and renewed by the works of both Ezra and Nehemiah. But it didn't take them very long to fall into sin once again. It didn't take them very long to fall back into their old ways. The ways that originally caused them to go into captivity in the first place. And so, throughout the entirety of this book, Malachi is talking to Judah about how far they've fallen from God. He's calling on them to repent and to recommit themselves to the Lord. He's calling on them to look forward to what God is capable of doing in the future. The redemption that's available in Him. 
Specifically, when you look at Malachi chapter 3, what we read a few minutes ago, God is talking about what He's going to do. In Malachi 3 verses 1 and 2, God says, I'm going to come into my temple. And it's for the purpose of refining, purifying my people, judging them for their sin. Okay, God, where are you going to start? Verses 3 and 4, I'm going to start with the household of Levi. I'm going to start with the tribe from which the priests come so that once again their sacrifices can be acceptable to me. God, are you going to stop there? Well, no, in verse 5, once I start with the household of Levi, I'm going to move forward to the entire nation of Judah. And I'm going to judge them for their sin. I'm going to judge them for their great wickedness. That leads us into a very popular statement in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Looking at that text as a whole, is God going to judge Judah for their sin? Is He going to purify them? Is He going to refine them? Is He going to hold them accountable for their evil and for their wickedness? He is. That's what we find in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Well, why doesn't God just go ahead and destroy that nation? Why doesn't God just destroy the nation of Judah? It's not unprecedented. If you go back to Malachi, the first chapter, God talks about how He destroyed the nation of Edom as a result of their sin. Why doesn't He just do that to Judah? Why doesn't He just go ahead and eliminate them, wipe them off of the map because of their sin? Verse 6, we find the reason. I'm the Lord. I don't change. Therefore you, O house of Jacob, are not consumed. Israel's survival was not dependent on themselves. Israel did not survive from day to day, from year to year. They didn't survive to this point in Malachi 3 because they earned it. Or because they deserved it. They survived to this point in Malachi chapter 3 because of God's faithfulness to them. God's faithfulness to the promises that He had made, to the covenant that He had formed. I'm the Lord. He says, my faithfulness doesn't change. And that's why you haven't been destroyed. He says, that's why you haven't been consumed. That's why you survived to see this day. If God's faithfulness did change, Judah would have been destroyed a long time ago. If His faithfulness did shift, if it did change, they would have been destroyed in the blink of an eye in God's holy wrath, in His holy anger. But that's not the case. Why? I'm the Lord. My faithfulness doesn't change. He says, that's why you haven't been consumed. In the midst of a constantly changing world, the faithfulness of God remains the same. I don't know about you, but I love to watch the NCAA basketball tournament. If we have Kentucky fans in here, or Duke fans, which I know we do, I know that you like to watch it. It's difficult for me to watch it because Tennessee's always gone in the first couple rounds. But I like to watch it anyway. You think about that tournament. You have to play pretty well in the regular season to get your way in. You have to earn your way into the tournament by playing really well. And then once you're a part of those 68 teams, you either win or you go home. You play your game. You win, you advance to the next round. If you lose, you're completely done. Is that the way that we sometimes think about God? Is that sometimes the way that we think about our relationships with Him? It's a good way to carry out a tournament, but it's not a good way to live as a Christian. 
Sometimes we think we have to earn our way in to God's grace. We have to earn our way into His favor. And then once I finally get in, I have to keep myself in. I have to live a perfect life. I have to eliminate any kind of mistake. I have to be absolutely sinless because when I commit that one sin, God's going to be done with me. He's going to cast me aside. I'm not going to be worth anything to Him anymore. He's not going to be interested in me anymore because of that one mistake that I've made. I have to survive in God and I have to continue to survive in God by my own merit. Earning it and deserving it every day that I live. Well, let's back up for just a second. Let's establish this, this foundation. Is God going to judge us for our sins? If we choose to live unfaithfully to Him, will He hold us accountable for it? Is it possible for us as Christians to fall away from Him? Do we have a responsibility to remain faithful to God? Of course we do. But what we have to realize in Malachi chapter 3, our survival is not dependent on ourselves. We don't survive from day to day. We don't live year to year. We haven't made it to this point because we deserve it or because we've earned it. Our survival is not rooted in ourselves. Our survival is rooted in God. Our survival is rooted in the fact that His faithfulness doesn't change. The reason for our survival from day to day is God's faithfulness to His promises. The only reason that God hasn't consumed us, the only reason that God hasn't destroyed us as a result of all the sinful decisions that we've made is because of His faithfulness to the covenant that He's made with us through the blood of His Son. It's like what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. So just like we sang, I appreciate Paul leading us in that song, as Christians, we can build our hope on things eternal. We don't build our hopes on earthly, physical, temporary things. As followers of Jesus, we can build our hope on eternal things as we hold to God's unchanging hand. As we cling to His unchanging faithfulness. Another song we sing called Abide With Me. Change and decay and all around I see. We live in that, don't we? We're constantly experiencing change. Things are in a constant state of decay. We're surrounded by sin and death. Change and decay and all around I see. But here's my prayer. O Thou who changest not, abide with Me. In the midst of a constantly changing world, God's faithfulness remains the same. Number two, in the midst of a constantly changing world, the work of Jesus remains constant. Now we go to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews seems to be written to a group of Jewish Christians who were really struggling with their faith in Jesus. Jews who converted to Christianity, but yet they were being tempted to leave Jesus. They were being tempted to go back to the Mosaic Law. So throughout all 13 chapters of that letter, the Hebrew writer is begging them. He's pleading them. Please don't leave Jesus. Please don't leave the Lord. Please don't go back to the Mosaic Law. Why? It's something you find in every single chapter in the book of Hebrews. Don't leave Jesus because He's better. Don't leave Jesus because He's superior to anything else you could leave Him for. Why would you leave something that's better for something that's not as good? 
Why would you leave something that's so superior for something that's so inferior? So as the Hebrew writer makes that case, as he presents that argument and brings the argument to a close, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, he wants to talk about Jesus' work. He wants his audience to understand that Jesus' work is constant by saying Jesus Christ is the same. He's constant yesterday and today and forever. In other words, Jesus and His work, it remains the same. Whether we're talking about the past, whether we're talking about the present, or whether we're talking about the future all the way into eternity. Think about those three designations of time. What did Jesus do yesterday? What did Jesus do in the past? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John chapter 1 and verse 1. But then in verse 14, the Word became flesh. God came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus. And He lived a perfect life. Ultimately, He suffered more than our tongues can even tell. He was beaten. Mocked. Spit on. Ultimately, nails were driven through His hands and through His feet. He hung on that cross for six hours, suffocating to death. Whenever He died, His body was taken off the cross. It was laid in the tomb. But that's not the end of the story. On the third day, the first day of the week, God raised Him up. He lived in His resurrected body for 40 days on the earth. And then on that 40th day, ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Okay, Tyler, I know that story. I know what Jesus has done in the past, but what is He doing now? What is He doing in the present? Scripture tells us about that. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God. He's reigning in victory. Exalted over all things. He has the name that's above every other name. He's serving as our high priest, the book of Hebrews says. Our mediator, our intercessor, our advocate before the Father. Colossians 1 says that in Him all things are holding together. Jesus takes a break for one moment and everything goes into chaos. Wow, that's what Jesus is doing right now? What is He going to do in the future? What will Jesus do forever in Hebrews 13.8? Well, one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to receive us to Himself. Jesus is going to return and the dead in Christ are going to rise. They're going to meet the Lord in the air and from that point forward, always be with the Lord. And then from that point forward into all of an eternity, Jesus Himself will be the lamp that illuminates the glories of heaven. Look at Jesus' work. Look at what He has done, is doing, and will do. Look at what He did yesterday, what He's doing today, and what He will do in the future into all of an eternity. You know what ties all of that together? You know the common denominator in Jesus' work regardless of when it took place? Would you take a look in the mirror? It's all about you. And it's all about me. Jesus' work, whether it's in the past or in the present, or whether we're looking into all of an eternity, everything Jesus has ever done, everything He's doing now, and everything He will do is all about us. All about our salvation. All about our relationships 
with God in the midst of a constantly changing world, the work of Jesus doesn't change. I remember one time when I was quite a bit younger, my family and I were trying to open one of these. And as we were trying to open this pickle jar, we looked about like that. You ever been there before? Where you're trying to open the jar, but you just can't get it? It started with my mom. She tried to open it. She couldn't get it. And so I said, hey, I'll, I'll take it. I'll open up this jar, be the hero of the day. Handed me the jar, worked on it for about 10 minutes, couldn't get it open. It hurt my pride, but I passed it to my dad. He was pretty confident that he could open it. Ten minutes later, that jar still wasn't open. We were just about to give up on it. Just about to, we're so frustrated, about to take that jar and throw it in the garbage can. Whenever my little sister, who's about seven years younger than me, walked up, and in her little squeaky voice, she said, can I have a turn? We all made fun of her. <laughs> you're not going to be able to open it. Are you kidding me? If, if we weren't able to do it, you're not going to be able to do it. She took hold of that jar. One turn. Pop that lid right off. Of course, let it be known, we're the ones who loosened it up for her. At least that's how I, I'm able to sleep at night when I think about that story. The point is, whenever things get hard, aren't we sometimes tempted to give up? When we're working on something and it gets hard and it's challenging and it's difficult, the temptation is to throw in the towel. Throw the jar into the garbage can. Give up. Quit. Aren't we thankful that Jesus didn't quit? Even when nails were being driven through His hands and through His feet, in His work, He didn't give up. He didn't throw in the towel. And He's not going to. You know why? He's the same. He's constant. Yesterday, today, and forever, in our changing world, His work is unchanging. And what blows my mind is that work is all about me. That work is all about you. As we work for Jesus, despite all of our sins and our shortcomings, despite all of our brokenness, Jesus continues to work for us. And it was that way in the past, it's that way now, and it's going to be that way into all of an eternity because His work doesn't change. And then finally, number three, in the midst of a changing world, the Word of God does not change. It remains the same. It remains constant. Now we go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah can be divided into two parts. Chapter 1 through chapter 39 centers on judgment, destruction. Chapters 40 through 66 talk about hope and deliverance. What Isaiah is basically doing, or God through Isaiah is doing, is he's talking to the nation of Judah in the first 39 chapters saying, you're going to go into captivity. You're living in sin. You're living in evil. I'm going to place you in Babylonian captivity. But then in chapters 40-66, through 66, what do we say about God's faithfulness? It doesn't change. God says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to bring you out of that captivity. And so when you look at that first chapter about hope and deliverance, in Isaiah 40 and verse 8, God says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. We see that, especially in the summertime, right? doesn't rain for a while. It's really hot outside and the grass starts to wither. 
A beautiful flower starts to droop. It starts to wilt. The beauty starts to fade away. It's what we've been saying all morning. We're surrounded by change. We're surrounded by death. We're surrounded by decay. But the Word of our God is not like that. Things change. Things decay. Things die on this earth. But the Word of our God is going to stand forever. And that's something we find in Scripture several different times. Psalms 111, verses 7 and 8. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. Watch this. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Psalms 119 and verse 89. Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away. We've been saying that heaven and earth are changing. Jesus takes that a step further and says that heaven and earth are ultimately going to pass away, but My words will not pass away. They are constant. They are eternal. They remain the same. 1 Peter 1, verses 23-25 takes the salvation that we've received, the good news that we've heard, and ties it into Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. The Word of the Lord remains forever. We live in a constantly changing world. But we can take great confidence in the fact that the Word of God is not going to change. It remains the same. It remains constant. It's interesting to me that this is said in Isaiah 40. Because if you go ten chapters back to Isaiah 30 verses 9-11, through you find God talking about His disobedient people. He says this, "...for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, don't see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. And let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel." Here's a group of people who don't want to hear the Word of God. And it's because they want to change the Word of God. They look at the prophets, those who speak on God's behalf, and they tell them, don't tell us what's right. Speak to us illusions. Leave that straight and narrow path. Divert to the right. Divert to the left. Tell us what we want to hear. Tickle our ears. Speak to us smooth things. Don't tell us anything that's going to make us uncomfortable. Don't tell us anything that's going to make us have to change. Are there people like that in our world today? Even religious people who refuse to hear the Word of God because they want to change the Word of God. They want to change Scripture to match what they've already believed or what they've always heard. As our culture changes, they want the timeless truths of God's Word to change along with it. As their lives change, they want Scripture to change and transition to keep up with them. May we never be one of those people. May we never have that desire. If we ever find ourselves wanting to change the Word of God, that means we're the ones who need to change. If we ever want to change Scripture to match our beliefs, our wants, our opinions, then we need to change our wants, beliefs, and opinions to match Scripture. Instead of changing Scripture, our responsibility is to be changed by Scripture. Why? Because it doesn't change. The grass withers 
The flower fades. But the Word of our God will stand forever. Do you struggle with this reality? Is this something that causes difficulty in your life? We live in a constantly changing world. But in the midst of that constantly changing world, when we go to the Word of God, there are some things that don't change. Three of those we talked about this morning. The faithfulness of God doesn't change. The work of Jesus doesn't change. The Word of God doesn't change. It remains constant. I look forward to next week. This time next week, we're going to look at three more things that are constant in a constantly changing world. And so as we look forward to that study and we look back on what we've talked about this morning, one question remains, so what? What difference does that make in my life? Well, yeah, the world changes. Yeah, there's some things in Scripture that remain constant. But how is that going to affect my life this week? How is that going to affect the way that I choose to live throughout the next six, seven days? Let me suggest two things. Number one, let's be encouraged this week. In the midst of so much change, we find timeless truths in Scripture that don't change. Things we can trust in. Things we can hold on to. Things we can firmly place our feet on top of. Let's be encouraged by that reality this week. But let's not just be encouraged. Let's change our perspective. Let's change the way that we view and think about the world. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we look not to the things that are unseen, but the things that are, to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This week, don't build your hope on physical things. Don't build your hope on earthly things that are temporary. Why? Because they're going to change. And as soon as you start to build on top of those, something is going to transition, something is going to shift, and it's going to destroy everything you've been working on. Instead of building our hope on earthly things that are temporary, earthly things that change, this week, let's build our hopes on things eternal and hold to God's unchanging hand. Do you need to take hold of that hand this morning? We hope you will if you have that need, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.